0: morning let me make a note of something here real quick before I forget under my announcement stuff also there's a drawing I'm not sure if it's a dinosaur or a chicken it was like I don't know if this is for me but it's impressive and I like it um. oh is it worth sharing okay well let's do that later then Awesome! Thank y'all for bearing with me. I had, I had there's something that popped in my mind that I want to I want to share with you guys at the end of the message today or the end of the service today, but I didn't want to forget, so I had to had to write that down real quick. So, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Man, I agree with Lizzie. the The testimony time that we have on Sunday mornings is, is by far one of my favorite parts of the morning. It's just really cool to see um, God's activity. Um, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but the last couple of weeks for me, as we've been working through this text. Um, has been very challenging, um, making me think about the way that I treat other people. You know, it's one thing to to learn about Jesus, and it's a whole other thing to take what you're learning and apply it in your life and and let that make changes that week and how specifically we respond to people. Um, And I've had a few conversations over the course of this week where people have expressed similar sentiments. Um, But I, I think, as I was thinking about this yesterday as I was writing, I was thinking, you know, all of us can find comfort in the difficulty, which I know is an odd thing to say, but we can find comfort in the fact that this was not easy for the disciples either. And if we're thinking of it in terms of, I have to do this, we talked about that last week, we're going to talk about it again this week. If we're thinking of it in that term of, I got to do this out of what's inside of me in 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 my own person, it is not just difficult, it's impossible. Um, But part of us understanding who Jesus is and then putting that into practice is us growing to be like Jesus. We talked about last week, we're going to talk about this week, that only happens as the Holy Spirit is moving in us and through us, and it's just another reason why it's so important for us to engage the Holy Spirit moment by moment as we're moving through our lives. What Jesus is asking his followers to do is impossible without the Holy Spirit, and I I want to make that absolutely clear because today we're going to kind of be in the same vein that we were last week, and it's vital to our experience in this world for us to remember we can't do this on our own. And for us to try is, is going to be an absolute flop every time. It's only through abiding, as Jesus taught, that we can be transformed into his likeness. Last week, we talked about loving our enemies. And the heart of that message from Jesus was the love that he has for all people and how it's our call as the body of Christ to love people the way that Jesus loved them. And we all agreed that loving our enemies is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Amen. Everybody still feel that way? So hard. So hard. But we also learned last week that when someone stands against us, no matter the severity, Jesus expects us to love them. Whether their opposition is merely something petty or if it's to bring you physical harm, the command is the same, to love them. And that stands in opposition to what we're taught in culture, to what we have experienced in our own lives. But that doesn't change what Jesus is teaching his disciples. And Jesus even then role models that depth of love as he allowed himself to be tortured and then crucified on our behalf. There's no better example than that. This love that God is encouraging us to learn and to exhibit is otherworldly. It is not something that is born within us. It is something that is created in us by the Holy Spirit. Today's message is going to be along the same lines, and once again, the heart of the message today is to is a call to love in a way that's not experienced by the vast majority of the world. I want to share a quick story with you guys this morning to kind of set the the, the stage for this. Um, this week we had a, a board meeting for Sin Law Interfaith. We met in the fellowship hall back there. And over the course of the, the, the conversation, as we were talking about um, the leadership council meeting that we were planning for, there was a comment made about the distinct lack of community and care in central Louisiana. And as this person said this, um, it just kind of struck me, and, I, and, and he could see it on my face, and he's like, what, what are you thinking? And I said, man, what a damning... Um, accusation that is on the church and he said say more (laughs) and I said it it is our call by God we talk about this all the time y'all probably sick of me hear me say this but the greatest commandment is to love God as yourself and the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself and if there's a lack of care and community in central Louisiana that first falls that responsibility is on the church I mean, we are called out, we are told specifically this is what we are supposed to do. As the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, our call is to love God and love people. And if there is a lack of love for people in central Louisiana, it falls on the church. Because that's who is responsible for that, from God's perspective anyway. Our passage today is going to hit just as hard as it did last week. Specifically, we're going to see yet another indictment of the world's opposition to the church. And spoiler alert, it's not because we're loving too much. That's not the indictment. Before we dig in and see this, um, for what Jesus has to us, I wanna remind us that context matters, okay? And I have a visual aid that I've, I've put up on this. If I'll click that button. Can y'all read that? <laughs> Life is short, lick the bowl, okay? There's another one that's going around that's super popular right now, but I, I couldn't share it uh, in this context. But if you, if you know, you know. Um, Jesus is teaching his disciples, okay? I told you this last week. I told you that the week before. It's so important that we understand this. Jesus is teaching those that have chosen to follow him who have said, I want to, to learn everything I can learn from you. I want to be like you. Those are the people that he's teaching. He's not teaching the unbelieving crowds. So today's message is, is for us. It's for those of us that have said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, and I want him to be the Lord of my life. I want to be his follower. I want to be his disciple. These words are for us. This is for the church. Also for context today, when I talk about the church, I'm talking about church with a capital C. Not, not just this church. This church is included in that, but I'm talking about The big church, okay? So let's read our passage today. It comes from Luke chapter 6, verse 37 through 42. So Jesus is picking up where he left off in our last passage. He says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you, a good measure. pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind uh, guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye and don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that splinter out of that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly. To take the splinter out of your brother's eye. This passage is very similar to the one that we've seen over the last two weeks. Jesus is giving instruction and then he follows it with a couple of parables. His goal is to communicate in a way that his hearers can understand and then make some application. Okay, he's not speaking in riddles. Jesus is being super, super clear. I shared with you guys last week that the commands that Jesus gives, those four commands, are the first four commands that Jesus gives anywhere. Okay, and he's following that up now with a couple of saying, don't judge, don't condemn, forgive, all right? His aim is to make a lasting and distinct, a distinctive change in the disciples' lives. I want us to hear that because that's his goal for us too. He wants this word to be implanted in our hearts and make a distinctive change in how we respond to the world around us. In both commands, Luke uses a present imperative which can be better translated as stop judging and stop condemning that's what he's saying it's it's a little bit lost in translation once you put it into English but if you look at it in the Greek he's not saying don't do this in the future he's saying this thing that you're doing right now stop doing it it suggests that the readers of this book must stop what they are presently doing this often um, is often read with the mindset of, I shouldn't do that in the future but Luke is intentionally stating that we should stop that now and this begs the question How does Luke know that the readers are judging and condemning people, right? How does he know you're judging and condemning people? You know how he knows it? Because we're born with it. It's part of our sin nature. To look at the actions of others and to make a judgment or condemnation, and usually we're comparing that to our own actions and saying, I am better than them because I don't, dot, 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 fill in the blank. Church, if our goal is to love people as God loves, then we must fundamentally change how we think about other people. Point number one for today is that judgment and condemnation bring pain, not healing. It's no secret that we live in a divided country, right? Anybody agree with that? Okay. Um, We live in a culture of division and that exists in nearly every aspect of life. It doesn't matter if you're talking politics, sports or the best brand of mayonnaise The expectation is that you're going to pick a side, plant your flag, and die on that hill, right? We've been polarized completely, everything in our lives, and judgment and condemnation flow freely from all parties involved. Nobody gets to escape from that because if you're a Duke's mayonnaise guy, all those Hellman people can just go somewhere else, right? That's how people feel about it. I want to point out that Jesus did not say that you should judge or condemn someone only that you shouldn't judge and condemn someone only if you agree with their ideas. Y'all hear me on that? Jesus doesn't say don't judge and condemn if they agree with you. He says stop judging and stop condemning. End of story. Don't do it. I've been reading a book I've shared with you guys a couple of quotes, or I shared them with Kerry and he shared them in his message. It's a book called Dangerous Jesus. Why the only thing more risky than getting Jesus right is getting Jesus wrong. Okay, it's by the author uh, Kevin Burgess, or KB as he's known in the music world. He said this in his book. Pray daily for God to keep you merciful toward others as he has been merciful toward you. Argue less with antisocial justice trolls. Just go do justice. Don't be afraid to hear the observations of people outside the faith community, Samaritans, on how society is failing its vulnerable people. Respect the image of God enough to believe that victims can honestly share their victimization without knowing Jesus. Go do justice. There will inevitably be places where you will agree with BLM, with critical race theorists, and even socialists. And do not fear that your faith is now in jeopardy because someone you perceive as an ideological opponent has a good or even better point. All truth is God's truth. Let me say that again. All truth is God's truth. And it will be in these truth intersections that we will find windows to proclaim the excellency of Christ. There's a lot to take in on that quote. You can go back and look at it later, but here's the main thing that I want you to hear and understand that KB is saying is, we do not have to agree with everything someone thinks or believes to love them like Jesus does. That's what KB is trying to get across. In fact, you don't have to agree with anything that someone says in order to love them like Jesus does. That's the whole point. And, and hear me on this. Newsflash, Jesus doesn't agree with everything that you think or believe, and he still loves you, right? We talked about this last week while we're yet sinners, right? Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us. And while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. That, that sacrificial love that we talked about last week when we talked about the fact that God loved us even when we were his enemy, that even when we're in the midst of judging and condemning the people around us while we're still yet living in that sin Jesus still dies, dies for us he still loves us if we're going to learn to stop judging and condemning others we have to see that we aren't perfect either and i know what you might be thinking well if if they're wrong somebody's got to let them know right Okay, this is not about discernment. That's not what Jesus is teaching on. Jesus is forbidding looking down on others in order to make yourself seem or feel better than you do right now. Jesus even taught his disciples that he who has every right to judge and condemn the world, that he did not even come for that purpose. In John chapter 3, verse 17, this is right after the most famous verse we all know, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall have eternal life. On the heels of that, He says, For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Church, if Jesus didn't come to judge and condemn, what, thinks, what gives us the right to think that we can judge and condemn? Not only is it not our job, our responsibility, or our right to judge and condemn others, but we're not helping anybody when we do it. We're making things worse. Let me ask you a question. This is rhetorical. Just think about it in your mind. But when was the last time that you were judged or condemned by someone else and felt loved by their condemnation and their judgment? I would bet probably never, ever in your life did you feel loved. So what does Jesus tell us to do instead of judging condemning? How do we usher in healing instead of just pain? Let's let's see what he says. Let's look at verse 37 and 38 again. It says, do not judge and you won't be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The nature of Jesus and of a disciple of Jesus is one of forgiveness and generosity. This is point number two, is that forgiveness and generosity pave the way for healing and for blessing. i ask you a couple more rhetorical questions. Are people who don't know God or living in sin drawn to the church? Are we running out of space in the churches today? Are they having to go build bigger buildings on every street corner to, to hold the number of people that are being drawn to the church? The obvious question to both of those is no. People aren't beating down the doors and we're not running out of room because the church's attitude has been judgment and condemnation for generations. While conversing with the interfaith board this week, I immediately thought about this text for today. One of the primary reasons that the church has little influence in its communities is that the community doesn't want anything to do with the church. They don't want anything to do with the church because we have led historically with judgment and condemnation instead of forgiveness and generosity. Look with me at how Luke describes Jesus' ministry. We're going to dig into this way deeper a a year or two from now when we get to Luke chapter 15. But look at verses 1 and 2 in Luke chapter 15. It says, now tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them? I think most of you probably know this is our church's namesake. This is where we came up with the name for the gathering place. God spoke this to Glenn about 14 years ago, okay? And this is the heart of the gathering place. We want to be a church and a people that acknowledge our own shortcomings and we gather around Jesus and we create space for any person to be comfortable where they are to gather around Jesus with us. And that desire has in no way diminished in the heart of the gathering place over the last 14 years. And personally, I would say in my own life, that desire has has only increased by magnitudes of order. But let's talk about what that means for us. It's one thing to say you want to be that kind of church, to have that kind of heart, but that kind of church isn't easy to create or maintain. It's messy because it's full of people who don't know the do the right things. It's full of people who make mistakes on a regular basis. It's full of people like me who really want to do well and they they just mess up. In John chapter 15, Jesus teaches us to abide in him. And then he gives us the command to love one another. And on the heels of that teaching, he gives the following warning. In John chapter 15, verse 18 through 20. He said, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, because I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word that I spoke to you. The servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If, you. if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Let me break this down for us, church. If we are the disciples that Jesus wants us to be, if we follow where Jesus leads, we should expect that kind of reaction from the world. The status quo of most churches is not to make space for sinners to gather around Jesus. The status quo is to put on a mask of perfection, to put on our Sunday best, and then to stare down at others, down our noses, with gazes of judgment and condemnation because they don't measure up to our standard. The danger is, is that if you and I are not daily abiding in Christ, letting the Holy Spirit work His love in us and overflowing out of us, then our status quo is going to become just like the rest of the world. It's only because of the Holy Spirit working in us that we can love people like Jesus does. The only way to keep from becoming like the world is to become like Jesus. There's no middle ground there. You're either like Jesus and moving in that direction, at least, or you're moving away from Him. There is no, there's no point in between the two where you can just sit and loiter and everything is okay. We are sheep or we are goats. Remember talking about that last week? If we're following Jesus, we're going to act like Jesus because we're, we're following him. We're doing the things that he is doing. In, in my mind, this made me think of uh, Star Wars where you had a Jedi and then you had a Padawan who's learning underneath him, right? And the Padawan's goal is to become just like the Jedi, right? I won't be a spoiler, but if you're watching Asuka on Disney Plus right now, there's some great uh, throws to that. But I'll, I'll, I won't say any more about that. This point number three for today is that Jesus' followers give others the same mercy that they receive from God. This is how we become like Jesus, like a Padawan becomes like the Master. As we follow in his footsteps, we do the things that he does. We do the things that he teaches us to do. If we are being disciples and we're discipling others, we pass on the lessons and the healing That we received ourselves. We're not, we're giving, but not of ourselves, but out of the overflow of what we have received from God. Look at verse 38 again. It says, give and it will be given to you a good measure. Press down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So Luke is, right, I'm going to give you some more context. Luke is writing to a people whose normal everyday attire was robes, tied at the waist with a rope, and in that robe was an extra fold that could be opened up and used as a pocket, okay? And so when he says it's being poured into your lap, it's because you would sit down and open that pocket and they would pour the grain or whatever it was they were trying to carry in that pocket, and then they could hold it against them and walk wherever they needed to go with their stuff, right? We all understand how pockets work, right? Okay. Everybody got it? You all with me? Okay. So not only is the pocket being filled, but it's being filled in a way that every nook and cranny is also filled. If you've ever been to a coffee, raise your hand if you've been to a coffee shop. Okay, all right, put your hands down. Raise your hand if you've ever watched the barista make your espresso shot for your latte or your cappuccino or whatever. Raise your hand if you've seen that. Okay, here's how it works in case you've forgotten. Some of y'all didn't raise your hand. I gotta take you for a cup of coffee. Okay. (laughs) So they put the, the espresso cup, filter that has a little handle on it under the grinder and when they fill it up it's mounted it's overflowing right and they got a little thing I don't know what it's called but it's a little wooden handle with little metal spikes on it and they they stir it like this and that gets the coffee grounds make sure there's no space in there down in the bottom of the filter where there's no coffee and then they tamp it they push it down so that all of the coffee is seated properly so you can draw a good espresso shot right this is a good example of what Jesus is talking about here They're not just putting some in their laps. They're filling up every nook and cranny so that it is overflowing. And it's out of that overflow that Jesus is teaching his disciples to give. And who's filling it, by the way? Jesus is, right? Jesus is reminding us once again that we cannot do this on our own. Let's look at these two super, super short parables that he gives after that in verse 39 through 42. He also told the parable. He says, can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that's in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly, and you can take the splinter out of your brother's eye. There's two main ideas that Jesus is sharing in regard to the commands that he just gave, these two things that he's trying to to portray to the disciples. The first one is, is that Jesus will lead us into this kind of living and loving others. Our lives have shown, our lives are a perfect example, each of us, of the fact that we cannot do this in our own power. The world's condition today shows that people, when left to their own devices, cannot love the way that God loves. The injustice that happens all around us and to us is the result of the fall of man. It's the result of sin. And God didn't want that for us, right? And he offered himself to redeem us and to redeem the world. And all of his followers, he's told us that he will work through us to help help people around us experience the freedom that comes in a relationship with Jesus. That's what he talks about with the blind leading the blind. He's not asking people who don't know Jesus to lead people to Jesus, right? That's not how it works. He's asking those of us whose eyes have been opened to the beauty of the joy and the peace and the grace that comes from Jesus to lead other people who have not experienced that to Jesus so they can experience it for themselves, The second thing he's trying to teach is that we need to focus on our own shortcomings first rather than others. I love the imagery that comes to mind in the second parable, right? I know we've all heard this before, but as I read it this week again, a cartoon popped in my head, okay? Bear with me a moment. I want to describe the cartoon that was in my head is you got two guys. One of them, you can see he's got a little speck of something. And the other guy has a beam, like this is a beam right here. This is a beam has a beam coming out of his eye and he's looking this way and he sees the guy out of this eye and he's like, hey, and he with the beam, hits him in the head. Let me get that speck out of your eye. Like, bro, you're hitting me with the beam in your own. This is the imagery that Jesus gives us. It's that we're laughing because it's, it's over the top ridiculous. But when we look at how the church has historically treated the people around them, are we not smacking people with the beam in our own eye? We're not perfect. We're so far from it. But we lead with judgment and condemnation because we got this one little spot in our life that we think we've got figured out. And so we need to tell everybody how to be like us so that they can be like Jesus. Jesus says, Stop it. Stop it. You're not helping anybody. Church, it's not our job to protect the church, Jesus is the gatekeeper newsflash, he wants those gates wide open. Who gathered around Jesus? Sinners. Do we need to protect the church from sinners? Oh God, please no. I want them all here. I want this place to be messy. As followers of Jesus, it is our job to love everyone the way that Jesus does. And if we're turning people away for any reason, For any reason, we are not loving like Jesus. Because I've read this book, and I cannot tell you one place where Jesus said, nope, you got too much wrong in your life, get out of here. Have you read that? I have not. In fact, the people that society said are not good enough, those are the ones that Jesus went over and sat down next to. Those are the ones that Jesus advocated for. Those are the ones that Jesus promised would sit with him in the kingdom. And those are the ones the church has said, You're not good enough for us over here. You're dirty. You're going to mess up our place. You might spill coffee on the floor. It is our job to love everyone the way that Jesus does. I want to land this plane today with an opportunity for us to just reflect on our own lives. Not everybody else's, right? It's not a moment for us to think about what other people need to change. This is an opportunity for Will to think about what God wants to change in Will's life. Same true for you. As we close in worship this morning, let God show you your interactions from the last week. Just replay that in your mind where you were judgmental or condemning someone else. In, in church, sometimes it happens and we don't mean it. And it. It's not okay, but if we don't let Jesus address it in our lives, nothing's going to change. This is about self-evaluation. It's about asking God to, to speak some hard truth in our lives. As I talked about last week, becoming more like Jesus is not a passive activity, right? This is not something that Jesus does and we play no part in. Our part is to say, Jesus, I want to be like you. And until we give him the permission to speak that into our lives, we're not going to hear it because we're not ready to hear it. It requires that we open ourselves up to hear from God. that We confess our sins, that we receive forgiveness and then experience the peace and the freedom that comes through being forgiven. The goal today is not for each of us to leave here feeling condemned. Remember, Jesus said that's not why he came. Jesus came to heal the broken parts of our lives. And while that may be uncomfortable for a moment, the healing that comes will forever change your life and is far more important than the momentary uncomfortableness of letting Jesus work that sin out of your life. The goal for us today is to stop judging and to stop condemning, to offer the same grace, forgiveness, love, and mercy that Jesus offers us to the people in our lives. For God to say, hey, Will, in this part of your life, in this conversation, last Tuesday, you didn't offer grace. You offered condemnation. And I want to work in you. I want to fix that part of your personality. But church, we can't give it away until we receive it. I want to share with you the Tozer devotional. In this, and we're going, to, we're going to close out with prayer. I read this this morning. I got done wrapping everything up. Went and opened up one of my devotionals while I was drinking a cup of coffee and read this. And I thought, man, I've got to add this to today. A.W. Tozer, um, his daily uh, for leaders, he references Hosea ten twelve, it says, sow for yourself righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. And Tozer says, it will require a determined heart and more than a little courage to wrench ourselves loose from the grip of our times and return to biblical ways. But it can be done. Every now and then in the past, Christians have had to do it. History has recorded several large-scale returns led by such men as St. Francis, Martin Luther, or George Fox. Unfortunately, there seems to be no Luther or Fox on the horizon at present. Whether or not another such return may be expected before the coming of Christ is a question upon which Christians are not fully agreed. But that is not of too great importance for us now. What God and his sovereignty may yet do in the, in a world, on a world scale, I do not claim to know. But what he will do for the plain man or woman who seeks his face, I believe, I do know and can tell others. Let any man turn to God in earnest. Let him begin to exercise himself unto godliness. Let him seek to develop his powers of spiritual receptivity by trust and obedience and humility. And the results will exceed anything he may have hoped in his learner. or leaner and weaker days. A.W. Tozer. What Tozer is saying is the same thing that Jesus is saying. Be like Jesus. Open yourselves. Be receptive to the work in his life. Let him speak in the areas of your life where you need some change. And then do what he's telling you to do. It's just that simple. This morning as we close in worship, open yourself to receiving grace and mercy and love that Jesus is pouring out. And if you'll receive it, he's going to fill you up until it overflows in every area of your life. Let's pray together. Jesus, it is so difficult sometimes for us to face the truth of where we are. God, you've... You've been speaking a strong word to me this week about the need for the church to love the people around it, to stop judging and to stop condemning. God, you've spoken some very specific things in my own personal life. Father, it is my hope and my desire that each person in this room that knows you, that it proclaims to be your follower, that they would allow you to begin to work in their lives, to speak the truths that are uncomfortable to hear, but so necessary for us to continue to be your followers, to become more like you. Father, as we close in worship today, I ask that your spirit would move in this room. Your Holy Spirit would would feel present here with us, God. Your word says that you're here, God, but today I ask that you'd help us to feel it. God, that if there is some area of our lives where we're feeling judged or condemned, Father, that you would bring healing and blessing to that area of our life. Father, that you allow us to take these few moments to just trust in you, to lean into you. And to each make a decision for ourselves that we want to be more like you. That we are receptive to the love, to the grace, and to the mercy, and to the change that you want to bring into our lives. Jesus, I ask this for my sake and for the sake of the men and women in this room that I love so dearly. We ask it in your name. Amen.